Who's this guy right here? Who is he? Lance Armstrong, right? What do we know about Lance Armstrong? We know a lot about him, don't we? If you're a cyclist, I mean, his name is almost synonymous with cycling. He won seven Tour de France's. I mean, the guy was just, he, he was amazing. And then it turns out that he was cheating the system. And then came all the shame and all of the, you know, having to turn in all of the, the, the medals and, and then be it on shows. And I still remember that he was on the Oprah Winfrey show and, and, and he sat there with Oprah and, and she basically said, how did it come to this, you know, that you're here today and, and this happened? And, and I remember he, he said, he said, my mission in life was to be the greatest cyclist in the world. He said, but then my mission came to be, to be the greatest cyclist no matter what. And that's, that's where it all went wrong. That's where it all went wrong. Today, we're going to talk about why that we should take the high road when the low road is quick and easy. Isn't that the truth? You know, I, I, just, just from the get-go, as we begin to talk about this today, I want you to know that uh, I have never in my life taken the low road. And I just did right now, because I lied. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, I'm not a paragon of virtue or anything like that. I've tried all of my life to take the high road. But, but really, we, we need to really think about this. What does this look like for us as followers of Jesus Christ? And what does it really mean to follow Jesus? And, and what, is, what is the high road anyway? And so we're going to explore that a little bit. And we're going to explore it through this story right here in uh, First uh, Samuel chapter 26. If you've been following us, we have been um, following the life of David. We talked about David when he was young and when he was a little bit older. And today we're going to get into another part of, of his story. And uh, we're going to uh, jump right into verse 5. Now, just real quickly, let me update you about a few things. So when David was 15 years old, he was anointed by Samuel the prophet to be, to be the king of Israel. He was 15 years old. Where we pick up the story is shortly before he will become king, but it's almost 15 years later. So he becomes king when he's 30 years old. And a lot of stuff is happening between 15 and 30 years old. One of those things is, and it it's really, really plays out big in his life, is he's being chased around uh, for his life, literally, by, by Saul. Saul is the first king of Israel, and Saul becomes a very evil king. He begins to make really, really bad choices. You might recall, if, if you know a little bit about David's story, that David is a war hero. You know, of course, we, we talked about it, he beat Goliath. And uh, at one point, he's coming home from another victory, and the girls are dancing in the streets, and they're singing songs, and they're saying, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. And there's, there's a real turning point right there. Saul becomes extremely jealous of David, and he thinks, David's trying to take the kingdom away from me. And then he, he just, after that, he begins to just chase David down over and over. Uh, at times, it's like he calms down, but then suddenly he'll turn around and throw a spear at David and try to kill him. And so this is after numerous attempts on David's life that we pick this up. Uh, in, uh, in, in, there's 3,000 elite soldiers that are with Saul as he's actually out trying to, he's trying to hunt David down. And uh, David's got about three or four hundred of his best men with him. Um, and so let's, let's read this and see what happened. Verse 5, Then David set out, and he went to the place where Saul had camped. And he saw where Saul and Abner, son of Ner, the commander of the army, had laid down. 
And Saul was lying inside the camp with the army encamped around him. And then David asked Ahimelech, the Hittite, and Abisha, son of Zerah, whatever, Job's brother, these Jewish names just kill me, who, who will go down into the camp with me to the, to, to, with Saul. He, said, he says, I'll go with you, said Abisha. So David and Abisha went to the, to the army by night, and there was Saul lying asleep inside the camp with a spear stuck in the ground near his head, and Abner and the soldiers were lying around him. Now, that spear was uh, representative of, of the king's authority, of his royalty. And man, if you got this king's spear, that was powerful. Abisha said to David, Today, God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Now let's, let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of my spear. I won't strike him twice. Now, from Abisha's perspective, you know, they've been getting chased down by Saul and this army. And he's, he's seeing this as like, this, this is our opportunity. You know, we're tired of running from this guy. David, he's trying to kill you. But look how David responds. But David said to Abisha, don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As surely as the Lord lives, he said, the Lord himself will strike him. Either his time will come and he'll die or he'll go into battle and perish. But the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. Now, get the spear and the water jug that are near his head and let's go. And, and so David took the spear and the water jug near Saul's head and they left. And no one saw or knew about it, nor did anyone wake up. They were all sleeping because... The Lord had put them into a deep sleep. So the Lord's actually fighting uh, on behalf of David as well. So some really profound principles that we learn in this story. Remember, remember the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. And sometimes when you read the entire story of, of David, you're like, really? Because he did some stuff that was pretty awful. But there was always this part of David that said, I want to take the high road. I want to do the right thing. And so the question is, how do I journey along the, the high road? How do I journey along the high road? Not how do I be high on the road, okay? Just saying that because we're in California. And anyway. <laughs> so how do we do it? Well, first of all, we've got to submit to God's plans, knowing that my life is in his hands. I think this is really the greatest test that we'll ever face as Christ followers is trusting God literally with all aspects of our life. Trusting him with our relationships, uh, trusting him with our career, uh, trusting him with the big choices of life, trusting him with our finances. I mean, right down the road, it's like, do I really, really trust God with my life? And this was a question that, that David would have to face. Because remember, at 15 years old, he's anointed to be king. And then a lot of years have gone by, and, and he keeps, you know, his father-in-law, by the way, by this time, Saul, the king of Israel, is actually his father-in-law, because he's married his daughter. His father-in-law is trying to take him out. And he's like, you know, when does this end, God? I mean, I, I know that I'm supposed to be king, but this is, this is getting, getting pretty crazy. He says, but the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. So here's the thing. David lived by certain principles. And, and one of those principles was the principle of, of what we would call submission. And submission means putting myself under the protection or authority of another. Now, how many of you just love the idea of submission? Doesn't that just warm your heart? Oh, man, I just love to submit, you know. No, it's just like that. sometimes almost as Americans, we're kind of like, oh, you know, that's... That's, that's really something that um, I, I don't find very endearing to, to my soul. 
So, but let's talk about what it is. But before we talk about what it is, let's talk about what it's not. So submission is not exposing yourself to abuse. A, a, a submission is, is not let, just, just being uh, uh, people, a, a person that has no boundaries in, in your life. So submission is not letting everybody, just being a doormat so everybody can just run right over the top. That is not submission. That's not what we're talking about. So let's talk about what submission is. It's an act of the heart before it's an act of obedience. And you can, you can see it in David's life when he said, no, no, we're not going to take him out. We're not going to kill the king. That was an act of submission. Now, the, the thing is, you know, Saul was acting pretty crazy, wasn't he? But he said there was a principle that, that he subscribed to. He said, no, we're, we're not doing that. Being slow to speak and, and, and quick to listen is, is another part of, of submission. Now, the other day... I was having a conversation with somebody about a particular government job. And uh, I, I just perceived this government job to be kind of a fluff job. And, uh, and so, you know, just kind of shoot. I started to just shoot my mouth off. And I was going, man, I wish I had that job. I had that job. I could sleep better at night. Wouldn't have all the pressure I have. And da-da-da-da, you know. And, and the person I was talking to said, I actually know somebody that, that has that job. And Steve, it's not what you think it is. And I'm like, like tell me about that. And so They did. And by the time they got through telling me about what this job is really like and all of the, uh, really the pressure this job has and, and all the difficulties and everything, I felt like an idiot. And I just thought, man, I, I spoke of things that I did not understand. You see, sometimes we can do that even of, of our leaders. And we, we can just go, well, that's, you know, they're stupid and the job is stupid. That's part of submission is, is being respectful. Being respectful to the position uh, especially in the area of, of, of our leaders. Being willing to follow orders and directions even when I disagree. Got any military people here? You understand that, don't you? Sometimes you're like, somebody gives you an order, you're like, well, you know, they're the, the sergeant or they're whatever their position is. They outrank me, and so you know, I, I've got to do what they, they tell me to do. Otherwise, the system doesn't work. Um, how about surrendering my rights and privileges in order to be a blessing to others? As Christ followers, that's what we're called to do. Just uh, two or three weeks ago, that we came in here, and we said, how about if you left your shoes here? And there were some people that were not prepared. They didn't bring shoes. But they said, you know what? Because I want to be a blessing to others. It's my right to keep my shoes, but I want to bless other people. So I'm going to take my shoes off, and I'm going I'm to leave them here. Those are principles of, of submission. So when we say it that way, does it, does it feel a little bit different to you? Does it sound a little bit better to you when, when you understand it that way? And so the question, maybe here's a, a, even a better question, so then who am I supposed to submit to? All right? So uh, for, it always begins with God. God's right at the top, and then after the rest of it are, are in no particular order. But, but we, we submit ourselves to God. That's what it means to be a Christ follower. Like, you've got control of my life. You're calling the shots. And then the Bible goes on, Ephesians, it talks about uh, inside of a marriage that a husband and a wife mutually submit to each other inside of a marriage. And then inside of a church that you and I are respectful and we lay down our rights for each other because we love each other. And then um, our spiritual leaders, the same thing. Our parents. Now, this is a tough one sometimes because I have people say, well, if you knew my parents, you would know that they're not worthy of respect. My parents abandoned me or my parents abused me. But... The idea that we're talking about here is, is the title, okay? We always, the Bible says, by the way, there's, there's a blessing for those who are respectful of their parents, who honor their parents. And, and so even though your parents may not have been good parents, you honor the position, the title of parents. Does, does that make sense? 
That's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about. And then bosses. Now, I know what you're going to say. When it comes to bosses, people are like, oh, oh, man, you have no idea. I work for the biggest jerk ever, okay? And not worthy of respect. I'm sorry, but in, in your lifetime and my lifetime, we're all going to work for people that are probably maybe not the best people. In fact, maybe, maybe they're even terrible people. But you respect and you honor and you submit to the position if you want to keep your job. And by the way, what is it that separates a Christian from anybody else if everybody's whining about the boss in, in the back room and just you know, telling jokes about the boss and what an idiot the boss is, and you're joining right in, are you any different than anybody else? But how about if you're the one that says, nah, and you walk out of the room, not going there, and you live your life that way, you take the high road. And then, of course, the government. Right? You know, I, I, I have to tell you, one of the things that really bothers me is that when I see a lot of Christ followers all over social media just lamb-blasting everything about, you know, the government from the president all the way down, just, just you know, just blasting away. And, and I'm not saying that you, you can't have your opinions, but sometimes I see that stuff and I'm like, oh, man. No wonder people think Christians are idiots sometimes. No wonder they, they, they go, those churches, man, full of those people saying that stuff. All I'm saying is think about it before you put it out there, okay? Really quiet in here right now. Okay. And so here's a question. What is it that keeps me from submitting in my heart? Do you have a rebellious heart? That doesn't go well with God. Because the idea of submission is, God, you are my Lord, you are my Savior, you're calling the shots. And when you and I rebel and we go, no, I will not submit. Well, that's, you're taking the low road then. You're not doing it God's way. And this is a principle that, that David really understood. Now, here's, here's the thing. God is able to handle the most crazy, ridiculous situations in our life. And this is one of them. I mean, can you imagine from the perspective of, of David, who's being chased all over the Palestine hills and, and being hunted down, that he's thinking, serious, God? How long do I have to put up with this? But he says, as surely as the Lord lives, he lives by this principle of submission. He said, the Lord himself will strike him. So Abisha's going, let's just kill him right now. This is a God thing right now. God, he, you know, we're here, just take him out. And he's going, no, no. Here's what's going to happen. Either he'll die by some other cause or, 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 or you know, he'll, uh, he'll die in battle or something is going to happen to him. But we are not going to play God in this situation. We will allow God to play God. And whatever is going to happen to him is not going to be by my hand. In other words, there was a shortcut that he could have experienced right there. He says, we're, we're, we're simply not going to do it. Have you ever noticed that short-term gains often result in long-term losses? You ever, you ever experienced that? A lot of you know about the scandal that happened just a few weeks ago with all the, the colleges, you know, all of the wealthy and, and some, uh, you know, famous parents. And they were saying, well, you know, I want my kid to go to USC. And so, you know, paid a few people off, you know, had some SAT scores adjusted, uh, got my, my son or daughter on the rowing team, even though they don't do that. I mean, you know, just, we all, it was all, all over the news, right? And, and probably most of us were going, oh, man, that's just, that's wrong. But just imagine if you were one of those people that had all that power and all that money and, and fame, and, and you were just thinking, well, it's no big deal. I mean, you know, just... I, and, and you know what? I suspect 
This has been going on for a long time. How many think probably been going on for a long time? Oh, absolutely, you know, it's been going on. So they were just part of like, well, you know, everybody else is doing it, and that's where you get yourself in trouble. Everybody else is doing it. All of our friends are doing it. And then it turned into that. David said to Abisha, don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed? That, that, he, he sees it from the perspective of, we can get this done quick, and you'll be king immediately. And, and David's saying, no, we're not, we're not going to do it that way. What will this choice cost me in the long run? That's really the question. Years ago, in 1993, there was a movie that came out. It was called Indecent Proposal. Anybody remember that movie? And in that movie, Robert Redford plays the part of a billionaire. And he's on this cruise, and Woody Harrelson and Demi Moore are uh, married in the movie, and they're having financial struggles. And so they're on this cruise, and, and Robert Redford sees Demi Moore, and he's like kind of has a thing for her. And he begins to get to know them as a couple, and he discovers that they, they're in financial stress. And so he begins to uh, make a play for Demi Moore. And so finally, the indecent proposal is he said, I'll tell you what, because I know you guys need some help, and here's, here's my proposal. I'll give you a million dollars to sleep with me for one night. And, and uh, Demi Moore and Woody Harrelson is a, is a married couple in the movie. They talk about this and they talk about this. And, and they say, you know, this this change everything. Well, we won't have to struggle anymore. You know, it, all, all of our needs will be met and we'll be on easy street and all this. You know, this is kind of the way they're, they're reasoning. And, and, and then that, they, okay. So Robert Redford has his night with Demi Moore in the movie. And then everything begins to change. You see, what they thought was a short-term solution that would be a blessing to their life turned out to be something that destroyed their marriage. Woody Harrelson becomes obsessed with jealousy. He just keeps talking about it, keeps talking about it. It just eats away at his soul. So often, when you and I are looking at the short-term prospect of, well, I, you know, it's, it's not a big deal, and maybe nobody's going to know, and, and it'll get me ahead... But we don't realize that in the long run, it hurts us. Why does it hurt us? Because what is God trying to do through all of this in our life anyway? He's trying to build character. He's trying to turn us into the kind of people that will take the high road, that will make the right choice in your life. I saw a a little video the other day. It was the cutest thing. It's called the marshmallow test. Anybody ever seen this? Take a bunch of kids, and I think it was done at Stanford University. And uh, these, these kids are probably about four or five years old or something like that. And a, a really sweet woman walks into the room and she puts a marshmallow on their plate. And she said, so, you can either eat that marshmallow right now, or if you wait, I will bring two marshmallows. And, and so the reaction of the kids is absolutely hilarious. Because, I mean, one little girl said, uh-huh, boom, popped it into her mouth. <laughs> didn't even, just didn't even think about it twice. Most of them struggled. Most of them were, you, they were wailing around, and, and there was a few of them that picked it up and were kind of rolling it in their hand, and, and then uh, they would kind of lick it a little bit, you know. <laughs> I suspect that was the future lawyers right there, like, you know, looking for loopholes, right? But then there were those that just waited, but it was tough. You could see they were squirming, and their eyes were just fixated on, on that marshmallow. And finally the moment came, and, and the woman walked in, and she gave them two. That's called delayed gratification. And you would think that we would learn it when we're five, but then pretty soon we're 55 or we're 25 or whatever it is. And, 
And this is really the principle of learning to wait. And, and, and we're not very good at it. A lot of times, in this case, we have the peer pressure of people around us, and they're going, no, it's okay. You're going to be fine. Everybody else is doing it, right? That's what's going on here. Abisha said to David, today, David, today, this is your opportunity. Come on, don't be stupid. We've been following you all over the desert. God has brought this right into your hand. We call that spiritual justifying. Have you ever done that before? Years ago, back in the 80s, before a lot of you were probably even born, uh, my wife and I were going through a really difficult time financially. And we were, we were in between churches, and I was doing some construction work, but we were just not making it. And I had a, a buddy of mine came to me, and he was a, a car, uh, he was selling cars, and he was making six figures back in the 1980s selling cars. And he said, I mean, the market was hot, and this place where he worked was really hot. He said, Steve, I can get you in. Um, so I put a suit on. I came in for the interview, and I was like, this, I told my wife, I go, this is going to change everything. We are going to have money. We're going to make a lot of money. Maybe we can even buy a house. I mean, we're dreaming. And, and, and so I sit down for the interview, and it became very, very apparent to me very quickly that there was a culture of deceit and lying at this place. Uh, to the extent that even on, you know, when I was application and stuff, they wanted me to lie about this, that, and the other thing. And then I began to sort of just listen to the way that they did and everything. And I realized, and I'm not saying this about all car dealerships, if you happen to be here and you sell cars, okay? Uh, I'm just saying this is what was going on this day at this place. I thought, if, if, I, if I do this, I'm going to have to compromise myself incredibly. And I'm not a liar. I am not a liar. I'm not going to go out there and lie to sell cars, and I, unfortunately, I mean, for, for our situation, I had to walk away from that. And I just, I just remember just being a little heartbroken, just like, oh, man. It would just make everything so much better. But I'll tell you, I slept really well that night because I knew that I'd made the right choice. God always, always wants us to take the high road. He wants us to, to do it the, the right way. Who would that person be in your life? Is, is there some scenario played out in your life right now? And maybe it's a relational thing, or maybe it's a money thing, it's a career thing, a business thing, whatever it is. And you know in your heart that you should do the right thing, but maybe you got somebody kind of leaning in on you, and they're going, nah, nah, don't be stupid. Do this, because everybody does this. We all know that. But you know in your heart it's not the right way. It's not... It's not the high road. It's the low road. Who would that be for you? And then it all comes down to patience, really, because we've got to develop patience to see God work things out. How many of you are super patient in the room? That's a real patient view. Okay, I, I, I'm not. I, I've struggled with patience all of my life. And so let's, let's talk about why, why does God make, make us wait? Let's go back to this story, beginning with uh, verse... Actually, we're going to go to verse 17. And uh, I'll just tell you real quickly what happened. So uh, David and Abisha, you know, they get the spear, the, the water jug, and then they go back to their camp, and they go up on higher on this ledge that overlooks all of uh, Saul and his soldiers. And so this is where it picks it up. Now these guys have all woken up, and in the beginning of verse 17, it says, Saul recognized David's voice. And he said, is that your voice, David? So David's calling out to him. He's going, hey, I'm over here. David replied, yes, it is, my lord, the king. Notice he still refers to him as my lord, the king. 
And he added, why is my Lord pursuing his servant? And what have I done? What's wrong? What am I guilty of? Now let my Lord the king listen to his servant's words. If the Lord has incited you against me, then may he accept an offering. If, however, men have done it, may they be cursed before the Lord. They have now driven me from my share in the Lord's inheritance and have said, go, serve other gods. Now, do not let my blood fall to the ground far from the presence of the Lord. The king of Israel has come out to look, what, for a flea? As one hunts a partridge in the mountains? Notice how humble David is in this instance. And then Saul said, because of David's humility, look at his response. I have sinned. Come back, David, my son, because you considered my life precious today. I will not try to harm you again. Surely I've acted like a fool, and I've erred greatly. Here is the king's spear, David answered. Let one of your young men come over and get it. And the Lord rewards every man. The Lord rewards every man for his righteous and faithfulness. And the Lord delivered you into my hands today, but I would not lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. As surely as I valued your life today, so may the Lord value my life and deliver me from all of my trouble. And then Saul said to David, may you be blessed, my son David. You will do great things and surely triumph. And he spoke prophetically when he said that. Why? Because David chose the high road. David did the right thing. And even Saul and all of his evilness and a man who had just lost his way could recognize that. That the man who does the right thing or the woman who does the right thing is the one who's going to be blessed and honored. I, I think sometimes when you and I have to make a choice like that, we, kind of, we think about it in terms of us, right? Like, almost like we live in a silo and, okay, so my choices affect me. And we forget that our choices affect everybody around us and that God, if you are a follower of God, he is working not only in your life but all the people's lives that are around you. We don't live our life in a vacuum. And, and David knows that, that God's working on a plan that involves more just the, him. It's all the people around him. David says, you're a man, aren't you? Who is like you in Israel? Why didn't you guard your Lord? So he's just kind of saying, look it. And he's actually speaking to Abner, who is the commander of, of the armies of Saul. He's going, what about you? You're a part of this. But he's actually he's, he's trying to speak something into Saul. He cares about Saul. God cares about Saul. It's not just that God's going to work through David, and he will, and he'll be a great king, and he does become a great king. But God is still, believe it or not, as bad as Saul was, and I haven't told you the extent of how evil Saul was. He, was. he was an evil king. God was still trying to reach out and help Saul. And one of the ways that he did it was through David choosing the right way instead of the wrong way. You see, every time that you make a good choice, the right choice, especially when it's a difficult choice, there's people around you that are being impacted by that. And every time that you and I make a bad choice, same thing. There's people around us that are being impacted by that. And so we say it this way, that God is committed to allowing others the opportunity to make the right choice, even if it takes longer than expected. I know that David in his heart was like, let's just get this over with, this agony. But God was going, no, I... We're, we're trying, there's a, something I'm trying to accomplish here. You can see that there was a change in that moment in, in Saul because I've, I've sinned. You did the right thing. I, I, I did the wrong thing. I, I love what, what, what Peter says in, in 2 Peter 3, 9. He says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. How many of you think sometimes God's kind of slow in keeping his promise? 
Come on, be real about it, okay? How many times we, God, you know, you're taking so long and you just need to speed this thing up and I just, yeah, it's just killing me, right? We, we think that. But look what he says, as some understand slowness, but that's our perspective. Instead, he's patient with you. See, sometimes we, we say he's slow, but it's really about patience. Well, well, patience with who and for what? Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God sees the long play. He sees all the characters. He sees the whole narrative, how it's playing out. And sometimes we're just all about, you know, I'm, I'm in pain right now. I don't like the way this is playing out. And God goes, no, I, I care about you, but I also care about everybody ar- around you. And this is going to take some time. Let me ask you a question. What does that look like for you right now in some particular scenario that's playing out in your life? And you just, you, you're ready to just go, I'm over it, or jump the gun, or make a move, and it may not be the right move, but you just say, just, I, I can't wait. Choosing what is right ultimately produces right results. How many, how many of you believe that? If you do the right thing, you get right results? I think you know that in your heart. I, I think you really, really know that. It's just that so many times we don't do that. We go, no, I, I'm just not going to wait any longer. And then I get my results, and it feels good for a while, and then, then it doesn't feel so good later on. That, that, that's what we're talking about here. Have you noticed that the, that the hard thing and the right thing are often the same thing? When Jesus said, come follow me, he didn't say, and it's going to be easy street. Oh, man, it's going to be easy. He said, pick up your cross every day and follow me. And that means difficult choices. That means taking the high road, even when your friends and everybody around you is taking the low road. You make the right choices. And you know what happens when you and I do that? It's not just that Somewhere along the way, I, God, I hope you remember me because this is, this is a hassle and it's difficult. God, day by day, is developing your character. You are becoming something. And you're really becoming more like Jesus. And the more of the fruit of the Spirit is in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, patience, self-control, all those things. Or, choice by choice, as you make the wrong choices, your character is eroding. And it's all based on taking the high road or taking the low road. Am I making choices that demonstrate that I truly am a Christ Father, that I truly, my life is in his hands? See, here's what I see in a lot of uh, American Christians today, my observation. I believe that a lot of Christians are just practical atheists. And what I mean by that is, oh, they, they believe in God, they read their Bibles, they pray, they go to church. But nothing in their life looks any different than anybody else. Because they just do what everybody else is doing, except for they go to church. And yet they do believe in God. And to truly, truly be a follower of Jesus Christ to the extent that people look at your life and go, now that, that looks different, is to make the hard choices in life and do the right thing in life. And by willing to wait just a little bit longer for God to work things out, you're in a relationship with somebody and you're going, you're ready to settle. You're like, you know, you know we're together, you know, we've been living together for a while, whatever, and, and she's cool or he's cool, and, I, I think, and, and you're settling. You're not settling for God's best. You're just going, well, it's convenient. And that's where it all goes wrong.
Because if you were really following Christ, you say, I want your best, and I'm praying for your best. I'm going to wait for the right person. Maybe it's, maybe it's a career thing, and you're, you're jumping way ahead of God, and you're going, I can't wait any longer. I'm not going to go to school any longer, and you're praying about it, and you have a sense that God is saying, no, wait. You're going, no, I'm just tired of waiting. Some way in, in your life, you're being impatient, and you're saying, no, I'm taking things into my own hands. And see, that's what we're talking about. To be a true follower of Christ is saying, it's not in my hands anymore. It's in your hands. And it may be the hardest choice I ever make, but I'm going to do it your way, God. I'm going to trust you. And I guess the ultimate question is, do you really trust God? Is what it comes down to. I want to leave you with this verse. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Jesus spoke these words. He said, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. The question is, do you believe that? Let me pray with you. Father, um, this has been kind of a, a sobering conversation this morning. You know, because every day we have to make choices in our life. And every day we have the, the culture that's pressing in on us and saying, do the easy thing, the expedient thing, the convenient thing. Don't be dumb. Come on, everybody's doing it. It'll be okay. And even in our, in our, in our own way, we rationalize as Christ followers and we think, well, yeah, so it's going to be okay because God wants me to be happy. And we forget that God wants us to be holy, set apart for a purpose. Wants us to have character. And I, I pray this morning if, if there's people here that are standing in the valley of decision this morning about a great choice that needs to be made and, and they know there's a, there's a high road and there's a low road and oh, the low road looks so good. Looks so easy. It'll expedite everything. But there's something else going on inside of their spirit right now. There's a choice to be made. And they know that if they, they choose the high road, it may not be the easy way to go, but it'll be the right way. Help them to know there'll be great blessing in making that choice and doing the right thing, Lord. Jesus, thank you that you love us so much. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are the ultimate Father. And whether we choose <laughs> one marshmallow and to eat it now, or two and wait, you're patient. You're patient with us. Thank you for being so patient with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.